the Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani I'm your host. Here on the Connected Generation, we explore all things legacy wealth and legacy businesses, how to build wealth and businesses that would outlive founders and have sustained impacts over time and over space. And it's a safe space here. We have these conversations in Pure curiosity, authenticity, and vulnerability. This week, I was joined by Brian Awe, who, my word, we had a great laugh. He's co-founder and GP of Refashion Ventures, an emerging venture capital fund manager that invests in early-stage supply chain technology. He co-founded the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation and is an adjunct professor of supply chain and ops management in New York University. We had a fascinating conversation. Firstly, he completely just changed my my mindset, my perspective. I had a, a, a complete just aha moment when he said the world, everything is a supply chain. The world is a supply chain. Supply chain exists in nature and they are man-made. And in uh, an article he wrote, he says that supply chains are to human civilization what oxygen is to life. He shares on his journey, his personal journey, and he shared so personally. And I really, really was quite touched by a lot of what he had to share and also makes a very strong case as to why we should care about supply chains. So listen in and enjoy. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the Connected Generation. It's awesome to have you today. Hi, Nikkei. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> yes. So you're co-founder and GP of Refashion Ventures. What is yes. that? And how did you get here? Refashioned Ventures is a venture fund, uh, Mm -hmm. playing within a a venture fund. We're building the fund to invest in early stage technology startups. I think the thing that makes us unique is that we're specifically focused on supply chain technology. Okay, um, and and we can delve, we can delve, delve into deeper, that. which we I'm sure into that uh, later on. Your your other question was how did how, I, how mm. did I get here? Um, I, I'll give you the the distilled and abbreviated version, and and we can delve into it as the conversation goes on. I come from Ghana. I was born in Ghana. I grew up in Nigeria. I grew up in Kano, and so I crack I crack the joke to see who knows their West African culture. Yeah, you, you will definitely beat me on that. I'm just an immigrant. That's what I tell people. I, 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 you I, will beat me in that department. I, I, yeah. I crack the joke that I have the I have the friendliness of a Ghanaian and the, and the arrogance of a Nigerian. Wonderful combination. <laughs> the arrogance of a Nigerian. And what I need to figure out is... Assertiveness, not arrogance. <laughs> We're assertive, we're self, what's the word? We have a lot of... Um, self-belief, self Yeah, confident. We don't have confidence issues. We're not arrogant. <laughs> the 
first time, the first time I said that to a group of people, I could hear them gasp, and then they burst out, and then they burst out laughing, and then they burst out laughing. I was like, right? Am I not? Am I not right? Um, so came to the United States in '97 to go to mm. college. Uh, I won a grant that paid for my undergrad education. I've been here since. In terms of in terms of as it relates to the fund, mm. 2008 is the is the interesting point because that's when I joined a single family office, and that's where I essentially gained all my investing experience till 2018, mm. when I left and we started the work of building of building the fund. We launched the fund as a rolling fund on angel list in July of 2021. Mm. We've now made 15 investments since then, which is kind of incredible, <laughs> incredible to, to believe. But we'll get into we'll get into all of that as the as the conversation progresses. Wow. Yeah, I feel like you've taken us right to revelation. And you missed like <laughs> you said Genesis and then you just got to Revelation at the end. And I want to know like all those micas. You know those random books like that we always forget. <laughs> I want to know the messy in between, uh, as Brene I, Brown says, because I feel like this journey would, you know, is incomplete without its challenges. The yeah. hero's journey is always one with challenges. And I want to know, um, I can't imagine this would have been an easy feat because I've never heard of a fund that's focused on supply chain. chain. That's, no. that, that's a challenge in, 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 in itself. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us more. So, so supply chain. You know, the 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 interesting thing about supply chains, and I think most people did not realize it till the pandemic, is that everything we do is dependent on an underlying a supply chain of some of some sort. Mm. Even when you you know to to get somewhat philosophical about it, even the natural cycles that we depend on. Uh, mm -hmm. a kind of supply chain, right? Like there's there's a supply chain that ensures that there are people in this world. <laughs> there's a birth mm. and there's a birth and death and life cycle, right? There's a supply huh. chain that that ensures that there's water on 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 the earth. There's a supply chain that that ensures that, that anything that exists has a supply chain associated with it, and mm. you can. Broadly speaking, you, you 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 can divide supply chains into two types. There are those that occur in in nature; they're naturally occurring. We don't do anything to cause their existence. And then there are those that are man-made. So we mm. actively, through technology, through science, through the creation of knowledge, have created these artificial uh, 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 supply chains. So life depends on supply chains. And the reason to focus on them is because, you know, we believe, my partner and I believe that we're getting to this stage in the world's history where we need to invest more in ensuring that man-made supply chains are in full alignment with natural supply chains. So three factors, wow. three factors that we think make our thesis, one that is, is relevant for the times is, you know, the climate crisis is getting worse and we have, mm. to, we have to figure that out. Um, uh, geopolitical tensions are increasing. Uh, when we were 
going through the process of developing this thesis, you know, we focused on China versus the United States and the West. Mm. It turns out we should have included Russia. <laughs> we should have included <laughs> Russia in that in that situation. <laughs> um, uh, and then the third, the third, the, the third variable is is human behavior, consumer behavior. We want everything now. We want it fast. We want it cheap. We don't mm. want to deal with the costs and consequences of our consumption. And so it's trying to figure out how you use technology and innovation to tackle some of those problems um, huh. as, as time unfolds. And, and that's, the, that's, that's, that's the foundation of the, of the thesis. And so when people say, well, Brian, what's a supply chain? I say, well, it's, it's, it's any process that connects production and consumption. That's mm-hmm. a very simple, it's a very simple. So if you consume anything in any format, there is someone who produces it and the, and the way that you, you, you get to consume it is because there's a supply chain. As you can imagine, they, they can be, supply chains can be really simple or they can be really complex. <laughs> no, I think you, my brain eh, has been like, since you, spoke about the natural supply chains and the link between the man-made and the natural and then these three factors that have led to i guess the importance of supply chain at this moment in history history. right and on to the third factor human behavior human preferences and what have you um our need for speed, our need for it now, yeah. our need for it better. Yeah. To what extent do we have to, what's the word I'm looking for, modify, regulate, tamper that in terms of if we're trying to also be green and ensure that the planet, because like Amazon Prime, for instance, you can order like a pen. You know, they'll deliver it in this box that looks like that, a car yeah, is yeah. arriving. And yeah. then I'm like, yeah, as a consumer, I'm happy that this pen came speedily, but I'm also worried about what impact what is this impact? having? Yeah. 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 That, is, that is a question that, you know, is above my pay grade right now. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> my pay grade right now. But we 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 you know the way that in in December in October of 2019 we wrote a blog post. Uh, mm. Lisa and I, my partner and I, I wrote a blog post which we entitled The World is a Supply Chain. Um, mm. then, then in December we turned it into a into a booklet. Um, a, 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 a quick aside. So so Lisa and I are very complimentary. I'm the one who will will have a conversation and then I'll sit down and two weeks or three weeks later I've, you know it's 20 pages, 10 point, 10 point font, uh, 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 no margins, <laughs> right text, just black and white text and then I'll send it to Lisa, you know, r- read this and send me comments and then she'll look at it and she'll be like, oh my God, Brian, no one's going to read this. Yeah, so no, then, they don't read. I don't read. Yeah. So then she will, she'll work her, 
uh, her magic and make it more visually appealing. Um, mm. So in March of 2020, we turned it into a booklet uh, uh, and, and sent it out to a few people. And one of the things we did at the end was try to answer the question, because sometimes when we're talking about this, people be like, what can I, as one individual, Mm-hmm. Right. What can I do, especially if, if you're not wealthy enough to invest in a fund or whatnot, and, and you think what your choices don't matter? No, your choices do matter. Right. So, for example, mm. in the instance that you 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 suggested, it's one pen. Perhaps you don't need to order it on Amazon. Right. Mm. Walk to the target that's around the block or walk to the staples or walk to the Walmart, the uh, the Walgreens and pick up and pick up the pen. Mm. Right? It saves it saves the it saves the the um, one. It might get to you more quickly. Right. You might get your pen more more quickly to you save on like transportation. Uh, and not just the monetary cost of the transportation, but transportation is one of the biggest sources of greenhouse uh, gas emissions mm. in the world. If you consider trucking, shipping, aviation, and, and, and put it all together, so that's one. That's one thing that people can do is to be more conscious, conscious, and more, and more, was... de- and more deliberate about their choices. Yeah, because I feel like the way the economy is just designed is to empower the consumer to the point of recklessness. There's no there's no checks and balance in the economy. There's no checks and even with investors or all the players and we have to wear a hat of I guess what I'm looking for is regulation of regulating ourselves to ensure that our activities are not having a detrimental impact on mm-hmm. people, planet, and community. I want to take you back a little bit. So you moved from, you said you grew up in Kano, yeah, and yeah. you had this brilliant blend <laughs> of, what is this? What, what did you say? Meekness and um, confidence. What did you say? <laughs> Friendliness and arrogance. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I want to know a bit more on how did that shape you? And how do you think that shapes your values in terms of how you're building your um, your fund today? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. I think on the one hand, the friendliness side of the equation mm. is that I think I'm good at making people feel feel welcome. Right, I'm I'm good at making people feel like they can approach me. I'm easy to talk to. The reason I started to wear an an orange hat, and if we were meeting in person, you'd be like, "Wait, he's wearing an orange hat and orange sneakers. What's <laughs> going on? What's going on here?" But I was thinking, I'm like, "Look, I'm in the United States. I'm a six foot three, six foot four black man who mm. looks huge." And in secondary school, people told they told me I'm not the most, at first glance, I'm not the most approachable. Hmm. And so I said, what deliberate thing can I do to let people know that I don't take myself too seriously? If you want to chat, just come up to me and say hi. And so hmm. the orange hat and the orange sneakers uh, do that. And then on the other side, you know, the, the self-confidence. Hmm. Uh, 
is something that I think growing up in Nigeria really imbued in me more firmly. I think my parents, my mom and dad are very confident people. But I think growing up in Kano um, mm. uh, and, and, and in Nigeria, just more broadly speaking, really hammered that home. And so when I encounter something, there is no question in my mind that if this is something I want to, to accomplish, I can, I can get it done. Now, that doesn't mean that there, that there won't be obstacles. It doesn't mean that there won't be setbacks. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means that if I want to get it done, I have the resources around me. To make mm. it you, you said something that I, I find fascinating that, you know, you're six foot three um, black man yeah. and you were sensitive to how people would receive you. Mm-hmm. And you chose consciously to, I guess, break the ice somehow, mm-hmm. some level to reduce that friction. Yep. Tell me more about that. Do you, do you, um, because I think a lot of the language around this is we have to, um, a lot of the conversation around this whole space, mm-hmm. I guess, as people of color and how we're perceived is one of, um, one of right-sizing our identity to what people deem as acceptable, taking away from who we are to try to mimic other people. Just, I'd love for you to talk more on, on, on that whole topic. So some of the way I think about this is, you know, thinking in hindsight, I think is a is an outcome of how I've, how I've grown up. So I, I tell people mm. I've, I've always been an outsider. Since I was born, I've always been an outsider. So I come from the Upper West region of Ghana, mm. but my mom and dad met in the Northern region of Ghana. I was born in Tamale. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not a native of Tamale, right? So from the moment I was born, I was an outsider. It was always, oh, well, you're not Dagbani. You're mm. Dakao. Then when we moved to Nigeria, well, you're not Nigerian, mm. <laughs> you're Ghanaian. And then it gets worse. When uh when I was 12 and my parents sent me back home to Ghana to go to to, to secondary school, I was like, who is this Nigerian? Who is this? Who is this foolish Nigerian? Why does he think he can come here and bend and push everyone? <laughs> the irony. <laughs> you know, and then I came to the United States, you know, and in the so and, and, and then there's and then there's another thing. Uh as a teenager, and this continued to my freshman year of college, I was epileptic. Mm. And you you know, from the time I was twelve, I didn't live with my parents. They were in Kano and I was in Ghana. So I sort of had to how how do you make it so that wherever you are, if you're having an epileptic seizure, some of the people around you, their first reaction is not, oh my God, what's going on? Let me get away. Their first reaction is, oh my God, he's such a nice guy. Let me help you. Wow. <laughs> right? So I had to come up with all these. Brian, you forgot all this idea. I had to come up with all these like self-preservation 
ways to preserve wow. myself, right? Because my parents, and at the time, you know, there was no way to call them. If I wrote, they wouldn't mm. get the letter till a, till a year later. Like I said, I hadn't grown up at home, so my relatives did not, uh, I wasn't as close to my relatives as, as some other people would be. And so it, it was really this idea of self-sufficiency. And so when mm. I got to, to the United States, it was that same thinking again, right? How do I ensure that no matter what group of people I'm dealing with, that everyone knows, hey, you can talk to Brian. <laughs> you, you, you can go up to Brian. And, you can go up to Brian and say hi and have a conversation and it will it will probably be it will probably be fine. So it seems like that experience of being an outsider and this, you know, having epilepsy has taught you some very positive life skills. Yes. Right? It has. It has taught me uh, I'll, I'll give you one example. Mm. One thing that I could not do in secondary school for a, you know, is when there was a really big uh, gathering. Mm-hmm. So, for example, the entire school is going to meet up with other schools somewhere and have an event. I had to ask myself, well, they're going to be, you know, 5,000, 6,000 people at this thing. Is this really, is this really the place I want to be? Or do I just need to stay on campus and do my, and do my own thing? And so making choices that would not always, you know, as a teenager, my friends would want to go do something like all teenagers do. And I'd have to think about and say, no, this isn't going to. So being able to make choices that, um, yeah, uh, dealing with peer pressure, right? Mm. It, 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 it gave me a very good, it gave me a very, initially it was difficult because I had to say, but, but then eventually I was like, okay, well, this is a legitimate concern. I'm not going to be able to, to break bounds with the rest of my friends because something could happen uh, that's, that's, out of, that's out of my control. On the other hand, Mm. When I did decide, when I did decide to break school rules, I did it knowing full well the potential consequences. Conscious, right? was, conscious this decision. Is, this is a conscious, Brian. You're taking a conscious risk. If something goes wrong, this is entirely, this is entirely on you. Mm. <laughs> you can't blame it on any. You can't blame it on any. I, wo- I wonder whether. I wonder whether that mindset serves you as an entrepreneur, like because like it's like a calculated risk, yes, right? Yes, yes, it 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 it, it does, and I think sometimes it it creates situations where my decisions aren't entirely. It's not easy for me to explain why I'm thinking in, in a certain way because someone will be giving advice, and it will be a lot of the conventional wisdom. Mm. I'll think about it and I'll say, no, that's not going to, that's not going, it's not going to work. It's not going to work for us. Mm. We have to do the opposite. And here is why. Mm. Um, And and when I do that, I'm completely fine. Again, I I know it's a conscious choice. Maybe this could go wrong, but if it does, it's entirely, it's entirely my problem to deal with. So for example, choosing to start with the rolling fund on angel lists Mm. while we figure out how to get to an institutional fund. It, it worked the same way. Everyone we spoke to said, and this was in late 2020 and early 2021, 
everyone that we spoke to said, don't do a rolling fund. It's not going to work. It's a terrible vehicle. Um, we don't like angel list. Don't do it on angel list. All sorts of reasons. Uh, just raise, just go out and raise $10 million the traditional way. Mm. And I thought about it and I have a, and I had a conversation with Lisa and I said, no, let's, let's do a roll. <laughs> let's do, let's do a rolling, let's do a rolling fund. And here is why. Fortunately, she agreed with me and, and, and in hindsight, that was the right choice. It was the right choice for us. That's really fascinating. And I was going to ask you about your, your partner, Lisa, um, because a number of people that I had the pleasure of mentoring will often, you know, say to me, oh, I I know I need a co-founder. I know I need to partner up, but I just don't know. How do I find him or her? How do I know who's trustworthy? I'd love to learn more about your journey with how yourself and Lisa came together and collaborated. So I, I remember the... I remember precisely when we met. It was in June of 2016. I think it was maybe June 8th. Wow. Whichever date it was, whichever date it was, it was the Monday after the CFA exams that year. Um, Mm. And the reason I remember it so clearly is because she had emailed me about two weeks before my exam. And I I responded and said, Lisa, I'm two weeks from my level three CFA exam. (laughs) I am am in no state to be talking to anyone about anything that is not related to the exam. To the CFA. So why don't we meet after the test? And so I said, let's schedule it for the Monday right after the exam because things wouldn't be that busy yet. And so we met in a in a coffee shop in Midtown Manhattan, and the reason we had uh, decided to meet we, we decided to meet in the first place is because an entrepreneur that she was advising had spoken with me and said, "Well, you seem to be all into supply chain and technology, and my advisor Lisa is all into supply chain and technology. I think you, you guys should get together and talk." In hindsight, we joke that perhaps people were getting tired of hearing each of us talk about and they were like, you know what, let's get these two people together so that they can leave the rest of us. They can leave the rest of us. Um, And and when I met, uh, one of the things that fascinated me was that it became, it quickly became clear that, um, that she had been thinking about the same topic Mm. in a way that was very analogous and parallel to how I had been thinking about it. The difference is that she started thinking about it from the perspective of the fashion and apparel industry. And okay. I had been thinking about it from the perspective of supply chain logistics. And so we had a great conversation. You know, she said to me, I want to join an existing fund and be their fashion supply chain uh, expert. And I think I said to her, that's one of the worst ideas I've ever heard. (laughs) That's one of the worst ideas I've ever heard. Why would you want to do something like that? Um, uh, You you know, but, but, but there was a bit of thinking behind my response. And it was that I ne- I knew that a lot of VCs were not that excited about supply chain because all my mm. friends that I was talking to about this uh, uh, venture c- capitalist thought I was crazy. And some told me to, to my face that it was 
<laughs> was a bad idea. Um, she especially was focused on fashion and apparel, and she and she had told me that VCs did not seem to be excited about fashion and apparel. So I said, it's supply chain, it's fashion and apparel as your specialty. You're going to be the junior most person on the investing team. Mm. The, the investments you think are exciting are not going to get made. And I said, believe you me, I know this because I'm the senior most person on my team. I was the first person on the team that became the venture fund. The, the venture fund, and I can't get any supply chain investment. Is this at your family office? At, at, at the at, at KC Ventures, yeah. Mm. I can't get any supply chain investments made. The ones that I'm, I'm really excited about. So, mm. you know, I said to her, I think you'll have to you 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 have to go it alone, or ultimately find someone that's as passionate about it as you are and team up with, with that person. So, after that, we kept in touch. We text every once in a while, some two three times a week, uh, talking about things in the news, deals, etc. And then mm. in 2017. I had the the urge to start a meetup community, the New York Supply Chain Meetup. And so we decided to team up and build that community. Um, mm. And then in 2018, when I left my old firm, we said, you know, this opportunity seems to be even more attractive than we first thought. Let's let's see if we can make it happen. So, so okay. that's how we met. So what I'm hearing is the importance of a shared vision, really, yes. Yes. right? Yes. So your vision wasn't identical. We had like common passion, yep. common interest yep. in these key themes. Yep. So, but then how did you now know that, okay, I can actually work with Lisa or we're bringing complementary skills to the table? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think... And, you know, Lisa will attest to this. I'm stubborn. I like to debate. And so on and, and so on and, and so on and so on and so forth. Um, as is she. She's she's just as stubborn. She she loves to, to, to debate as well. But I think, like you said, right from the the moment we met, we quickly realized that we have this shared, this shared vision, this shared interest, this shared... Um, I call it obsession. She calls it passion for supply mm-hmm. chain and, and, and technology. And then over time, she Lisa is extremely smart. She is extreme. She is extremely smart. And so I have no doubt in her intellectual uh, horsepower. And then mm-hmm. I think I think the next thing is uh, uh, is mutual respect. As much as we clash heads sometimes and as much as we debate, like I understand that we're both trying to get the to, to the right answer. She understands that we're both trying to get to the right answer. So even when we have a conference call, our daily Zoom calls, and we, we depart the calls feeling feeling frustrated with one another. You know, after like after like two hours or three hours, we're back again and we're like, okay, great. So I had time, I had time to think about the reasons you disagreed with what I was proposing. I went and did a little more work. Here is some more information, right? And then we discuss it. And if it makes sense, you know, then we go ahead and do it. If it doesn't make sense, 
then we then we don't do it. But I think shared shared passion or enthusiasm, shared mm. uh, shared vision and trust right and trust on a number of levels right so trust that this person is fundamentally a good person has your best interest at heart but then also trust that this person can deliver when it matters mm. because i think if any of those is not if any of those is not present then then i don't know how a partnership a partnership can work. yeah for sure i want to go back to like supply chain and obviously covid-19 was like you said it was a huge wake up call to yep. a lot of us to realize that supply chains at the heart of everything that we do yep. just your views on how has covid-19 impacted on this space and just generally all the interesting stuff going on with the world with russia ukraine you know um, global trade etc that's a that's a that's a big <laughs> that's a big, that's a big question so so i think the easy one is that almost everyone that i speak to mm. now understands right they they might not know the definition of supply chain right they might not be able to define it the way the I way you would yeah when, when we started this conversation but they understand why supply chains matter so mm. that's that's one thing it's to the point where we're talking to an institutional lp two days ago and as a result of our experience in 2019 and in early 2020 when we start the pitch you know we define supply chain why do supply and at the end he was like yeah you don't need to tell me why supply chains matter anymore we get it now <laughs> I, I, 2020 I, I, is the I, reason I, why it matters I, 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 <laughs> and you know, as he was saying that i was like you know he's right we're right stuck, yeah we're, we're in an old paradigm yeah in all the conversations we had in 2019 where people were like what supply chain why does anyone care about supply chain isn't it just uh, dirty trucks and old boxes like mm. wh why would anyone need technology for that right we're, we're, we're stuck in all those frustrating we haven't moved i was like yeah we, we need to change up our pitch uh, so that's one i think the second is that and this is interesting because usually you don't we don't think about things this way. But even mm. this morning, I was watching the BBC. And as you know, in Sri Lanka, the, mm. uh, they're, they're having economic hardships and the government is, is being threatened. In fact, I, I'd be surprised if, if they don't have a change of government. And it occurred to me that even in any country, the job of the government is to ensure that supply chains are running smooth hmm. think about that. think about all the times when when we've laughed oh my god i can't believe it's in liberia the government collapsed because of a shortage of rice hmm. or there's another place the government collapsed because of a shortage of bread that's hmm. that's that's a symptom right that the that the government in that country has failed at ensuring the welfare of its people by seeing to it that supply chains are running smoothly. And I think we got a sense of that. Mm. We got a sense of that during COVID, you know, when President Joe Biden had to go on TV to 
assure all of us that Christmas presents, <laughs> Christmas presents would be. I even tweeted about first world problems. I, was, I mean, I was, nonetheless, I was, it's I was, I, I was like, I bet you, I bet you, when he was campaigning for president, he didn't realize his job. This was is <laughs> chief supply chain officer of the United States. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> right, but, but but ensuring that ensuring the welfare of your people by seeing mm. to it that the supply chains in your country are working smoothly is one is the primary responsibility of a government if you fail at that responsibility you're either going to be voted out or as is happening in sri lanka there'll be social unrest um and then i think that the third thing that i have noticed is the explosion of interest uh from investors and everything mm. that has to do with, with supply chain. And, and it plays out in a number of different ways. So you'll hear a lot of people uh, expre- ex- expressing much more interest in climate uh, technology, right? So there are people who want to invest in technologies to, to, to confront the climate crisis. Mm. You'll hear uh, many more people talking about investing in technology for sustainability. You'll hear a lot more people talking about investing in technology for impact. You'll mm-hmm. hear a lot more people talking about investing in ESG as, mm-hmm. as, a, as a broad theme. And, you know, what I've been saying to LPs who ask us, well, what about ESG impact, climate and whatnot is all that is built on supply chains. All that is built on what's happening in supply chains. If you are an impact investor and the impact that you want to see is, hey, I want to see fair wages Mm. um, uh, uh, being paid to employees. Well, the way that fair wages get instantiated, get actualized in the real world is in the supply chain. It's somewhere in the supply chain. If the impact you want to see is, hey, I want to see a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, that happens in the supply chain. If it's environmental, I want to see less pollution from fast fashion, uh, 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 less pollution of the environment. Well, that happens in the supply chain, right? Okay. If climate, if climate is, is, if climate is what you want to have an impact on, right? If climate technology, well, the reason the climate is getting is getting messed up is because of all the choices we've made in the supply chain. Yeah. So, sure, perhaps right now you're focused on how do we pull carbon dioxide out of thin air and sequester it and store it in rocks but the part of that thinking has to be how do we also fix our supply chains so that we're not producing that much carbon uh, dioxide in the first place so that's one that's one realization that i've come to that i've mm-hmm. that we've we've come to somewhat more recently um, right you're, you're smart and i knew you were smart when you <laughs> when um <laughs> You sent me an email. Yeah? It's called Research Report. Family <laughs> offices and emerging VC managers. Hashtag FOAVC. Toward a partnership model for family offices and emerging venture firm managers, supply chain tech. Essentially a case for why family offices, single family offices, multifamily offices, um should look more at supply chain can you please teach us more on that research report so so that came and this 
this is where the Nigerian, this is where the Nigerian. The Nigerian is coming out. This way. What's your Nigerian name, by the way? What's your Nigerian name? Do you have a name? Or should I name you Kunle? You, you should Kunle is fine. <laughs> Kunle, Kunle is, Kunle is fine. So Kunle wrote this report. <laughs> That's, so, you know, during the course of, during the course of, of uh, 2021, I think, I, I I kept reading, you know, on social media. The, the one that really set me off was an article in the Financial Times. Mm. And it was basically something along the lines of family offices are going to disrupt venture capital. Mm. And I read it and I was very dissatisfied. I was like, this author doesn't know what he's talking about. doesn't know what he's talking about. doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, and, and, you know, it, it was around the holidays. I had some time. Originally, when I sat down, I thought, oh, this will be 1,500 words, 2,500 words. No big deal. 76. And then, and then as, I, as I started digging into the topic, I was like, wait, no one is going to understand this argument if you don't explain this other thing and no one will understand that other thing if you don't explain this other thing so by the time i was done it was uh, again i sent it to lisa i was like i wrote this over the past week what do you think and she's like (laughs) oh my god (laughs) but you know i give you credit like it was very well formatted there were charts there were things in bold. There were quotes. Like that's, it was easy to read. Like it wasn't that's, like that's Lisa's like, genius. That, that, that's Lisa's. That's Lisa's. Okay, genius. that's Lisa. <laughs> that's Lisa's genius. <laughs> the original version. The original version did not look anything. Did not look anything like that. But of course, in, in order for us to get to 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 the place where her genius shines, she she gave me more work. She was like, "Hey, I need you to research this thing. I need you to give me this thing." I was like, "Okay, okay, okay, I'll 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 do it." So so the fundamental argument in that report is, you know, that there's a very specific role that family offices play, hmm. and there is a very specific role that venture ca- capitalists play. And I should emphasize that for the for what we're talking for what we're talking about, I'm focused on early stage uh, venture capital. So this yeah. is pre-seed, seed, mm-hmm. and series A. A mm-hmm. I'm not focused on series B, C growth. I'm I'm not this is the early stage. And the unique thing about investing at the early stage is that there is a lot of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of risk. And the one thing you're guaranteed is that you're going to lose money, mm-hmm. which is completely antithetical to why you set up a family office in the first place. Yep. Right? You yep. set up a family office to preserve your wealth and grow it so that future generations of your family can benefit from all your hard work and good fortune. And so the idea that family offices are suddenly going to get very comfortable with taking a lot of risk, exposing themselves to a lot of uncertainty, being in a situation where you invest in, you know, 10 companies and nine of them completely, (laughs) a complete complete waste of your time and energy, so to speak, 
And there's only one that really breaks out and does something super meaningful, right? The idea that they can do this well strikes mm. me, strikes me as being, as not being very, very, um, very reflective of reality. Mm-hmm. And so I think the way you do it, if you if you, if you're a family office, is you 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 say, look, we do want some exposure to that risk and uncertainty. We're going to allocate a small amount of the family's wealth to those strategies, those alternative uh, strategies. And we understand we understand what might happen, but that's completely fine because we've carved it out um, uh, from 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 everything else and 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 so i'm obviously building on the two years i spent at the family office at mm-hmm. KC holdings the eight years after that i spent building uh, uh i spent with the team building the uh, venture fund from scratch and then of course now the experience since 2018 building our own fund from scratch as well powerful insight and completely on the money both for my family and a number of families that I've served mm-hmm. and you articulated it in a way that it just it was like a eureka moment for me I was like yeah actually this makes so much sense but meanwhile as a community we're constantly being approached for um early stage high risk investment opportunities mm-hmm. more than we are for more stable um or at least I think, like he said, there is a place for investing in VC, but in a way that mitigates the risk, maybe in a fund, for instance, where yes. you've got diversification yes. and, yes. you know, what have you, where you yes. can um, deal with a GP that has strong expertise and operator mm-hmm. experience, um, where we can mod- mitigate the risk. But a lot of folks don't think through this objectives, investment objectives, objectives. fit. Yeah. Yeah, they just yeah. think oh, family offices. They have cash lying around. We go to them and we raise the money for our startup. And you, you know, it's it's interesting because in the early days when we were building KAC Ventures, one one red flag for us would be when an entrepreneur would be pitching us. Right, they're mm. raising a, they're, they're, they're raising a venture around. They're pitching us. And then they say something like, we prefer family offices to independent VCs. <laughs> immediately, 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 I would, we would understand what they meant, right? Basically, because they usually say that family offices move with speed. They like... It's... That's, that's what they say, right? To, that's to, what they say. To, to appeal to your ego. To appeal to your ego, that's what they say. They say, oh, you move with speed, speed yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What they really are trying to do is they're trying to raise money from people that they feel are not as sophisticated. As I was just going Kai Brian. Okay. That's it, that, that, that is really what's happening. And so, for example... You know, you're talking to someone and they say that you sort of let it slide. And then you're going through the, like, what, 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 who drew up these documents? What kinds of terms are, <laughs> what kinds of terms are these? <laughs> right? Like, would, oh my goodness. would you go yeah. to any self-respecting venture capitalist with these? With terms? all this, yeah. Like, 
you know, and, and then you're like, oh, wait, they think we don't know what we're, we're doing. doing, right? They think we don't know what they're doing. They, they, they think they can come in and get a, a deal that they wouldn't be able to get with any, when, you know, at, at the end of the day, we want returns just like any independent VC. Kai, Brian, you just saved a lot of us. Honestly, like, that is major, um, major, 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 because it's difficult investing because you there's so many unknown unknowns and like you're just like you feel like you're in the dark and like you said there's some people unfortunately that are prying on that disadvantage that we have so make the case for us when does vc make sense for family offices at at the early stage where uncertainty is incredibly high i believe the way you do it is you partner with emerging managers. Some mm. families have enough wealth where they perhaps want to build their own fund. I think, you know, that makes that makes sense. I don't, based on my experience and some of the other things I've seen, I think it's rare that one of those, you know, single LP, single family venture fund mm. works just because the same... It's essentially you're doing direct investing, right? And yeah, it's, which is... It's, it's, it's a lot of work, takes a lot of time. The expense of maintaining the infrastructure to make it work really well is high. So I would say at the early stage, invest in a portfolio of, of managers, you know, who are pursuing investment strategies and thesis that make sense with where mm. the family's interests lie. And then the key point is... If you believe in the in the manager enough to become an LP in their fund, then you really need to become a close partner mm. with them. And what do I mean by that? Stay at top of stay on top of of what they're doing as much as you can. And when they come to you and they, and they say, Niket, this company in our portfolio is doing really well. They're getting ready to raise their next round. We mm. want to participate." We think you should talk to them. We're happy to work with you on due diligence, et cetera, et cetera. If they believe enough to double down in the next round, you, you know, and, and you have an interest in doing direct investing, at that point, you should, you should go in with them. Oh, at that point, you, you, you should go in with them. But the only way you'll see those opportunities as if you're already an LP in the you're already, yeah. If you're already an LP in the fund, I'm not running around with to people who are not LPs in my yeah, fund, showing them the best opportunities. It in is, the yeah. That's the that's the and of course there are a lot of other like nuances, but just broadly broadly speaking, and the reason that the report is seventy six pages <laughs> is because I go into I go into all the all the nuances. Coolly <laughs> went all out. No, but it's fantastic. It's 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 called a Kunle special, or it's it's a Brian Aware special. Like he will go into all the details. Oh dear. But but I'll I'll tell you what I was thinking when once I really got to it, I was like Brian, put yourselves put yourself back in KC Holdings, right? This is Jeff Citron's family office. He comes to you and he says, Brian, I want to deploy, you know, 
10 million dollars 5 million dollars 20 million dollars in venture capital this is the mm. first time we're doing it um why don't you come back to me in two weeks with a framework about how we should think about doing it mm. what would he what would he expect me to come back with <laughs> what would he expect me to come back with and i know in his case he would want me to give him all the excruciating details mm. and we could talk through it right first he'll he'll take it he'll read it and then we'll sit down and talk and then he'll make and then he'll make a decision. So that's 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 who I was writing it for. I wasn't for... writing it. I, I wasn't writing it for someone who is, you know, on the subway from you know Brooklyn to Manhattan and they need something to while it. That that's that wasn't No, it was, it was powerful. <laughs> it was so, it really took me aback. Like I was like, wow, I need to Brian needs to become my friend. Like like wow. And so tell me more about your fund and how's that going so refashion ventures i, I was listening to you and stephanie broby um uh, uh, i was listening to your conversation i think she made she made a point uh that things usually take longer than we would like them to take and it, it was fascinating for me to hear her say that because this past so far this year i've been thinking have been thinking about our journey Mm. I was like, you know, I think no matter how well one is doing, it is just human nature that we always wish things would be more easy, uh, uh, would happen more quickly, <laughs> that we would be farther along. <laughs> it's like, why is this taking? Yeah. Why is this taking so it's long? So long. Yeah. Uh, but you know, all things considered, I think we're doing great. So. The, the framework I look at it from, I'm a boy from a village in northern Ghana. When mm. I was a teenager, you know, there was no electricity. There was no running water in my village. If you mm. go on Twitter and you look at my profile picture, you might think, why is this his profile picture? That's because I'm one of the two boys in that, in that picture. Wow. Um, uh, that, that was where I spent my vacation uh, when school was out of session. And so to think that I can be where I am now in the United States trying to build a, techno a technology venture fund that somehow we've persuaded enough people to give us a million dollars of capital to invest on their behalf. Mm. Right? That, 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 that we've managed to persuade 15 different startup founders to accept the small check that we can commit to their company and then work with them to try to get them to the next major milestone. I think under any circumstance, people would say, Jesus Christ, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. But I sit here every day, I'm like, why is this taking so long? <laughs> why hasn't this happened? Yeah. <laughs> I feel you 100 in the duality of the truths of both those those statements at the same time. It's, yeah. it's so, wow, how did I get here? Yeah. Plus the, yeah. why am I still here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But celebrate nonetheless, and congratulations. Thank it's you. an amazing feat. And if anyone wants to learn more about you, your work, your fund, your reports, how can they, how can they learn more? I, I'm really easy to, to find. On Twitter, if they just type in my last name, A-O-A-E-H, 
Mm-hmm. I think it's just me and my younger sister. <laughs> on, on Twitter, so I'll be easy to find. Uh, the same thing on LinkedIn, if they type in my last name. Uh, on Google, you know, the same thing on Google, if they type in, they type in my last name, the page one of the results, it, 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 it will be our website, my blog, uh, uh, one of those things. So that's amazing. How do you pronounce your last name? Aware. Aware. Interesting. Aware. Nice. Nice. Thank you, Brian. You've been so generous. So, so, so generous. I've learned so much. And I'm going to bring you back to unpack a few things more. I can't believe an hour has just like flown by. (laughs) But it's been phenomenal. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great weekend. And you too. Take care. Bye-bye. Supply chains are to human civilization what oxygen is to life. This is what Brian and his partner writes about in this amazing article on supply chain. And he they advocate on what can we do to participate in the coming transformation of supply chains as individual consumers. We can continue to become active and engaged with respect to how our consumption affects the world around us. Really, this conscious consumerism that we spoke about, the example I gave about ordering a pen from Amazon Prime and it arriving in this huge box and taking up so many resources from the from the earth and really having a negative impact on the environment. And this advocacy, this education, um, this using of our voice is really important and um will help with respect to propelling this transformation of supply chain. And secondly, through private capital, through potentially investing in in innovations in supply chain transformation, um, Brian and Lisa um, articulate and pose a case for why it's a great opportunity that remains underexploited in terms of risk-seeking capital and it's ripe for increased allocations of capital for private investors, family offices, um, etc. So these are definitely areas to to watch and um, they close off this article imploring us to become supply chain enthusiasts, not just because it's the fashionable thing to do, but it will become an issue of increasing and critical necessity as supply chain is central to human civilization and central to our economies. So thank you so much for tuning in. As always, please share, share this with someone that you think may bless, may be interested in this world of legacy business, legacy wealth or supply chain. And I'd also love if you could leave us leave a review on Spotify, on Google Play or Apple, wherever you listen to. It really helps to boost the algorithms of the podcast such that other people can discover the podcast and be blessed by the content. Thank you so much. Take good care and God bless you.